Good morning. How are we doing this morning, church? All right, if we can gather back up here together here this morning, we uh, got a pretty deep chapter to go through. All right, how's everybody this morning? I'm like, uh, Daryl, I went old school this time. It's funny. Um, I, Troy, uh, he, he, when I got here, he was like, hey, hey sh- sh- come over here. I'm like, what? He's like, you only got one tile. So that's, that's all I'm doing today. So, so anyway, I thought I'm just going to preach out of the word uh, this morning. Um, so <clears throat> super excited into our study of Ephesians chapter 4. So turn your Bibles on if that's what you do. Turn, open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4 if you've got one. If you don't have one, there are pew Bibles up underneath uh, this, the, the chairs. Grab one of those and go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be going through this. And again, I won't have any tiles coming up that are going to deal with any of the verses. So now remember back in chapter 3, um, uh, Pastor Mike preached on that last week. And what a great... Uh, what a great chapter. Uh, the first three chapters of Ephesians just dealing with, uh, with who we are in Christ, um, what the purposes are. And, and, the, and in chapter three, we start to see that Paul is saying, I, I am showing you with the mystery, the mystery that, that has been hidden and is now apparent in Christ that the Gentiles are welcome, that everybody is now welcome into this thing. And we've actually entered into an entirely new age, that we are now in a church age. So Israel and the church are distinct from one another. It doesn't mean that they both don't have parts and places and and that those parts and places may kind of do this over time and different things. But for right now, we are in the church age. And so this is an exciting time that we're living in because Jesus has chosen to affect change in the world through his church. And so chapter four is going to begin to deal with us as a church, as a community, as a fellowship of believers as to what we're, what we're up to and how to do this thing. And, and it's starting to lay some groundwork for us about this thing. Now, in the beginning here, so, so Paul reveals this mystery to us and then he prays just this amazing prayer so that we might understand the power under which we reside, that, that, that this God is, is unfathomable, that he is, he is bigger and greater and more than anything that we could ever think about or even imagine. And that's exactly what is empowering his church today. Now remember, the church, the church is people, right? You didn't come to church this morning, you brought the church with you, right? The church isn't buildings, it's not denominations. The church is God's people that assemble around the entire globe, right? And so, so that's the church, and, and we're a part of that. And what we are is we're a distinct and unique fellowship within Sheridan. We've been planted here on purpose by God to fulfill God's purposes here in our community. And that's what we're supposed to be about together. So in the beginning of chapter four here, Paul reminds us, just as he did in three, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul is reminding us, he's saying, look, it took me to prison. It took me to, I'm in my chains. But I wanna tell you and I wanna encourage you as the church to walk in the manner that is worthy of this high calling that you've been called to. What a privilege it is to serve Jesus 
through his church, to be a part of his church, to be a part of this fellowship and to get to do what he's called us to do. And so therefore he's telling that as we go, as we go through life, as we walk through life, let's do it in a manner that is worthy of the one who's called us. Let's, let's, let's look into this. And so we're gonna keep going. And it says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, right? So, so there's a real need for us to bear with one another. You know why? Because the more intimate we are in relationship to one another, the more that we fellowship, the more that we try to do and be effective in this world, the more we're gonna rub up against each other, right? The more our differences are gonna become evident in things, the, the more struggles that we might have, that, that we've, we've gotta understand that, that sometimes we hurt each other. So, so bearing with one another is gonna be an absolute key to this thing. It, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely pivotal and, and foundational in marriage. It's also pivotal and foundational in the operations of the church and the unity of the church because this is what Jesus is calling us to, is unity. It says that we're bearing with one another how we're doing it in love. And, and, and we're eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So God is calling us to multiply, right? But if you wanna multiply fractions and we're fractured, you gotta do what first? You gotta find a common denominator, right? So, so God calls us to not major on the minors, but to major on the majors, right? That we've been called in one faith, one baptism. There's one God, there's one Father, there's one salvation. There's only one, and that is the foundational core by which his church is developed from, right? Now, we can get into the theological weeds on all kinds of issues and stuff, but that's not what we're called to here. It's okay to explore those things. It's okay to hold some different views from one another, but at the end of the day, if those views begin to bring division within our church body, we've got a problem, and we need to address it. We need to, we need to look at that, but we're called to, to major on the majors and understand that there is one God, that we're serving one God, that we've been called into this, and that those things aren't optional. Those aren't optional belief systems. Those aren't things that are up for debate or consideration or any of that. Those things are foundational and, and they lay the foundation for what we're gonna build on as a church. And so, so basically we're called to that and we cannot compromise on those things. There's a lot of ancillary issues within Christianity and within God's word that, that you know, we, we don't exactly all get. I'm pretty darn sure when I come into the presence of the Lord that Jesus isn't gonna pin the theological perfection badge on me. You know what I mean? I'm just not gonna get that. I'm sure I'm not. I'm not gonna, it's not gonna be, oh, there he is. He was, oh, you're th there he is, guys. His theology was perfect. I doubt it, right? So, so, so we've gotta bear with one another. We've gotta be patient with one another. But at the same time, we need a common denominator because if we're gonna fulfill this vision that Jesus has for us and for his church, this commission, this co-mission, this mission that we are cooperating with, with him, we're gonna have to have a common denominator. We're gonna have to have a place where we can come and we can find unity. 
right? If we went to Romans chapter 12, it's gonna deal with this hugely. Listen to this. For by the grace given to me, I say everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, right? And, and, and so we're called to unity. We're not called to uniformity. That's a different thing. But we are called to unity. See, we're called to represent God in the world around us. And, and God hasn't formed this thing in a way that is contradictory to who he is, to his very nature and his character. You see, the nature and the character of God represents diversity and unity, the church body is diversity and unity. We each come individually, and we're gonna get into that. But Jesus himself prayed for this in John chapter 17, right? Verse 20, listen, uh, listen to this. Um, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, that's us, right? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Wow, what a powerful thought there that, that as we find that this thing of unity is so imperative that it will be a display to the world the reality of God in, the, in this universe, that it will show, it will be a visible thing that will show the world who God is when we actually practice that. But grace was given to each one, I'm back in chapter, or chapter four, verse seven, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Man, what was the measure of that? How lavishly did he give grace to us, right? Man, huge, right? God's grace upon us is, is so much bigger than it is. And grace doesn't just, doesn't just cover our sins. It does do that, but it also empowers us. God's grace gives us the motivation and the energy and the power to move, to move forward and to live as new creations, to live differently than we've lived in the past. Paul goes on to say, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So you know what? There's an issue right there where you can get into the really the theological weeds and I'm not going there, right? This idea, I'm gonna hold with this. He was up there, he was the bread that came down from heaven, he descended into earth, he, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, and he ascended again. And he, when he ascended, whenever he came, when Jesus came, he reconciled all things back to himself. So when it talks about the end of the universe, it means that he took creation and he reconciled all things back to himself. He brought all things back into right order, all things back into right um, uh, perspectives, and, and now he's called us as the church to walk this out and to live in this. But, but listen to this, it says that he gave gifts to men, right? So, so what a picture this is, right? We've got this picture of giving, right? The Father gives the Son, the Son gives the Spirit, 
The Spirit gives gifts, and guess what we're called to do? We're called to be givers of God's grace, givers of his forgiveness, givers of his word, that we understand and know the reason why we're here on this earth, what we're supposed to be doing, and that, and that actually the, the job of the church is outside of the doors here. See, the church, the church is never meant to just be this holy huddle, right, that comes in here and that huddles up and, 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 and you know, we're actually supposed to we're supposed to go out there. As a matter of fact, the church is one of the only organizations I can think of that exists for those who aren't in it. Isn't that an interesting thought? It's actually, we're here for those who aren't here. And why are we here? We're gonna get into that, but we're gonna, we're gonna move into this. And it says this, and this is the thing. This is what the church is about, okay? He gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's the function of the church. The function of the church is this. Why do we come here? Why do we meet here? Is it to entertain? Is it to bring? I mean, honestly, if you leave here and you say things like, well, that didn't do much for me, we might be missing the point, right? Because, because the church doesn't function to entertain us. The church doesn't, it doesn't exist so that we can make all kinds of programming and programs and all that stuff. Now, those things are great and they're fine when they're done in the context of equipping the saints for the ministry of service. That's why we exist. We're a training place, right? We're, we're meant to be a place where we're all entered in, where we're understanding who we are and what the calling is on our lives. And we're here so that we can grow. And we go to small group to grow. And yes, it's very important to get together. It's, it's important to go deep. It's important to do these things, but why? So that we go out and we're doers of the word, right? Remember James, not just hearers, but doers. Hearers delude themselves. They're like people who look at their natural face in the mirror and after having gone away, forget what kind of person they were. They forget what their identity is. They forget who they are, what they were called to do and be. And so there's just this imperative that we have to be doers of the word, that if we come to church or we go to Bible study, we don't do it from this perspective, like we're just sitting on the couch, just eating chips, man. You know, just give me some more chips. You know, and, and, and literally just getting fat getting fat even, because, because this is more like a race, right? This is, this is meant to be run. This is meant to be exercised and done. And so, so while we're getting protein or whatever, we're getting good stuff coming in, it's meant to empower us to go out and to run this race and to do this thing. Now listen, it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So we're supposed to be getting this. We're supposed to be growing in God's word. We're supposed to be understanding and knowing that, that God's word is, is, is this thing that, um, that, that changes us, that it's not just words on a page, but that it's alive and that it's active. And the big question is, is how engaged in God's word are you? Because see, if you just come to Sunday and, you, and, and if you think that that's really gonna be enough to, to satisfy you, it just doesn't work that way. 
You gotta have your own personal relationship time with God. You need to be meeting with other believers. We need to really be in a mentor relationship and we should be discipling somebody if we're a little ways along too. This is how God has given us to grow the church is that we would begin to grow up, that we would mature, that we wouldn't stay babies. We wouldn't keep drinking milk and sitting in dirty diapers, right? That we would grow up, that we would mature, that we wouldn't be so offended, that we would understand the reality of who we are together. We'd understand the reality of our brokenness. We'd understand the reality of our humanity. And so when somebody hurts us, we would be like, okay, get it. But we'd be quick to, to, to share these things and to, and to grow up and to not be tossed around by every wind. How many winds and waves are out there right now? Social media, oh my gosh. I mean, everybody's got an opinion. We've moved into an age that says that truth is relative, right? That, that my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, this person's truth is, I'm sorry, but truth can't work like that. It can't. Truth is always inclusive, or I'm sorry, it's exclusive. Our belief system is inclusive. It, it allows for everyone to come in. But truth is exclusive. In other words, we could go up on the roof of the church, all of us, and we could say, you know what? I don't really believe in gravity, right? And then we could jump off of the roof. But the truth of gravity would win the day, right? Right? So, so see, you see, truth, truth doesn't operate like that. Truth doesn't, it, it, it can't be your truth, my truth. And see, what God is calling us to is, a, he says that there's an objective place of truth. The world says there's subjective truth. It doesn't matter, whatever you, however you feel, whatever you think, whatever you are, that's your truth, and so therefore it's truth. Sorry, but truth never works that way, it cannot. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love, right? Wow, listen to that, listen. We are to grow up every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's our job to grow this church. We've been equipped, we've been given everything that we need. Jesus hasn't left us shortchanged on any. But the question is, listen, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's a cooperative effort. See, I can't grow the church. I can't be that guy. We grow the church. And if the body isn't functioning in the proper level, if we're not, if you and me and all of us cooperatively are not exercising the gifts that we've been given that belong to the church, they don't belong to you, the gifts of the Spirit were given to you when you said yes to Jesus, and they are for the body. And if you withhold those gifts, you're withholding from Jesus's bride. You don't wanna do that. So it's a participatory kind of a thing. It's gonna, it's gonna, it demands that we all participate. 
And then it, and then, and then it says, I want to just listen. I'm going to take us back to some, these things that jump off at the, the, these things that we sing into your word. We're digging deep to know our father's heart into the world. We're reaching out to show them who you are, right? Just to know you and to make you known, we lift your name on high. I mean, these are the things, these, these, these lyrics, I mean, there are, there's powerful things, but this is, this is the function of the church. The church isn't just supposed to come in here and receive. That's step one, but you gotta do step two. You gotta go out and give, right? Because this is what Jesus is doing. And it goes on to talk about this new life, verse 17. Now this I say to testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the call. The call is to put off the old self. See, there was an old try and, and that old try is still crawling around trying to get on the throne of my heart and my life. And that old man will even imitate a spiritual man if I'll let him on that throne. There's only one that can sit on the throne. It's Jesus, right? That's that common denominator that we've got to get back down to. But we have to be a people that look different and live different. You see, this idea of, of transformation, can we go back to that transformational community thing there? Um, this, is, this is something that we came up with on, on a leadership retreat we, we've, we've known, we've, we've always talked about know, grow, and show. You gotta first know him, and you gotta know about him. You gotta grow in him, you gotta mature, and then we need to show the world the love of Jesus. Um, but also, too, this transformational maturity creating irresistible community, it came out of this very verse that we just talked about. It was like, what does that basically say? What is that saying? And, and, and what it's saying is that you and I need to enter into a process of getting healed up. We're all broken. We're all messed up. We're all screwed up. There's nobody here that's got it figured out. Nobody's gonna get the badge of you got it all together when we hit heaven. You know what I'm saying? It's this process that we have to enter into. And that's where that transformation comes. We've gotta put off the old self and we've gotta put on the new self. We've gotta live and be empowered by the grace that God gives us and we have gotta quit doing it the same way that the world does it. The problem with the church is that we're doing the same thing the world's doing it. We're doing relationships the same way. We're doing marriage the same way. Um, we're, we're, we're living with our stuff and our bank accounts and our homes and all of that stuff the same way that the world is doing it. And we're reaping the same benefits. and We're getting the same economy that the world is reaping out of. And then we're upset because our divorce rate is the same as what the rest of the world is and stuff like that. Well, guess what? You got to do it different. You want different results, we've got to do it different. And God gives us very good direction in how to do these things and how to live this. But we have got to begin to, we're in the world, don't get me wrong, but we've got to reject the things of the world. You gotta to start to ask yourself, is that really true? Is that really true what they say? Does that really work? Because I can tell you that, that there are so many things that we believe and that we have been affected by the culture that we live around so deeply, I don't think we even really get a hold of that a lot of times but it's warped our sense of what's true. 
It's warped our sense of what's right. It's warped our sense of, of how do you do this life and what does that look like? So we've gotta become a people who look different. You see, we've gotta create an irresistible community. That's what Jesus did. People flocked to him. You know what I'm saying? The worst, the, the people who were struggling, the worst in the world who were struggling in so many ways, who were so broken and so messed up, they ran to him. And, and I just asked the question, do they run to the church? I don't know that they do. I think they're afraid of the church. I think they're afraid of what we'll think. I think they're afraid of, of, of what we'll say or how they might be judged. We have to create an irresistible, irresistible community. That means that we begin to, to, to love those who are broken, right? Don't judge them. There are all kinds of cultural things in, in our world today, but we have to start to be a church that isn't that church that's just talking about what we're against. The church has done a fantastic job of telling the whole world what we're against. But we haven't done that much to tell the world what we're for. And we're for a lot of great things. We're for everything that actually everybody out there is looking for and what they really want, but what is manifesting itself in their lives in, in, in unhealthy and broken and messed up ways. You see, we're supposed to live different so that we can show the world that we know something different. See, because I don't know about you, but you know, that parenting thing, and maybe we all had it, you know, do as I say, not as I do. That don't work. Never did work. It's never gonna work, Right? It doesn't work, you never respect that. I don't respect that, you don't respect that. Nobody does, the only, what we respect is actions. And when actions and words line up, we start to get the idea that there might be truth and that those folks might actually know something that we don't know. And if they know something that we don't know, maybe it'd be really cool if we went in the doors and found something out. And maybe if we were so welcoming and we were all out there and we were inviting people to church. I mean, this is what we have to be. We have to put on this new life. We have to understand who we are. Therefore, having put away falsehood, now it's gonna to start to deal with us and how we're dealing with each other. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Man, there you go. I don't know that we're very good at this, but I think we gotta get better. No falsehood, right? Speak truth with one another. How do we speak truth? We always, we've been told how to speak truth. How do we do that? In love, right? Because I don't know about you, but if I believe you care about me, I can hear some hard things. But if I don't think you care about me, I don't wanna hear what you gotta say. So we start there. We start with the truth in love, but we also understand that we have to speak truth to one another. We have to be real. When we get mad at each other, it's not an excuse to sin, even if you're right and you're mad. It doesn't justify doing the wrong thing, right? Because that's what, I, if I'm right, hang on, because I'm right. Sometimes being right's the most dangerous place to sit. It doesn't say don't be angry. It says don't sin when you're in your anger, right? So we're not supposed to sin in our anger, but we're supposed to be real with one another. We're supposed to speak truth with one another in this place because we're members of one place in one body. We're part of one another. Give no opportunity for the devil because guess what? The devil wants to take God's church down, right? He doesn't want you going out there. He doesn't want us to be effective. He doesn't want this to work. He wants us to fail. 
And because he wants this to fail, because this is foundationally, the things that we're talking about in here are the, are the cornerstone of society, he wants to break it all down. Just look at it. Just look out in the world and you'll see systematically how the things that this book talks about are being broken down in the culture around us. It's not working. But we gotta be real. We gotta be real with one another because that's how we're healthy. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We're supposed to be moving from being takers into being givers. We're supposed to be effective. We're supposed to be generous. We're supposed to live different from the world. We're not supposed to be consumers that always consume out to the nth degree plus another 20%, right? We're supposed to live within margins and then honestly, we're supposed to make sure we have extra so that we can give to those who are in need. We're supposed to live different from this world. And we're all struggling with this. I'm not sitting up here saying like I'm some kind of a spiritual thoroughbred that's like so far ahead of everybody else. And I, you know, like I'm 10 links ahead. That's not the reality. We're all struggling through this together. You know what I'm saying? This is how we do this is we struggle through this together, but we don't compromise truth. So let's turn from being takers into being givers. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is for good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's a big one. We gotta watch our mouths, right? Proverbs, life and death is in the tongue. James talks a lot about the tongue. Set on fire by hell. <laughs> you know, all these things. We've gotta be careful what comes out of our mouths because what comes out of our mouths cuts right? And once, you, once it goes out, you can't bring it back in. You can ask for forgiveness. You can, you can move to a new chapter or whatever, but it's there, and it's part of it. So let's don't let corrupting talk come out of our mouths. And if corrupting talk is potentially coming out of our mouths, then guess what? Use it as an opportunity to look at your heart, because Jesus said, out of the mouth proceeds that which fills the heart. It comes from your heart. It was already there, right? It's like, I saw a deal the other day, talked about somebody bumped into me and I spilled coffee. Spilled coffee all over the place, right? All over the carpet. Well, um, whose fault was it? Well, it's actually, it got coffee, got, why did the coffee get spilled? We wanna say, because that person bumped into me. But this thing said, well, it's actually because there was coffee in the cup. That's why coffee got spilled. Because if there had been water in the cup, that's what it got spilled, right? So what's already in there comes out. This is the reality of who we are. It's the place where, where we should all be doing self-examination and saying, what's coming out of my mouth? Because what's coming out of my mouth has everything to do with what's going on in my heart. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve him. He's, he's, he's here, he's alive, he's in us. He, he wants to be active and pleased but if we're not doing these things that he's called us to do as a church, it's, it, it's grieving the heart of God. When we don't live into what we've been called to live into, when we don't walk in a manner worthy, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. We gotta get rid of those things. We gotta quit holding on. We gotta quit harboring. We've gotta be good forgivers, just like a marriage a church is gonna require good forgivers to be successful. And then it's sandwiched here. We started this thing out by saying, bear with one another. And the reason you gotta bear with one another is because we 
We gotta bear with one another. We're gonna upset each other. But it ends by saying be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We gotta forgive. We gotta bear with one another. We gotta forgive with one another. But, but we, also, we also have to grow up. We have to mature. We have to exercise the gifts that God has given us. And I wanna tell you that God has given each and every person here giftings. He's given you giftings. He's, he has a plan. Remember, uh, 2.10, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the good works that he prepared in advance for you to walk in. It, it isn't about this. The ministry is yours. And what we do with it and what we, where we go as a church will be dependent on what we do corporately and how we, how, we, how we engage our community, how we participate, how we grow. Are we maturing? Are we in God's word? Are we doing these different things? Because the ministry of the church is in God's people. See, I think that, I think that we've really made a big mistake in Western culture and we've gotten it twisted. You know, we come to church saying, what is, what's it gonna bring to me? You know, hey man, the worship ain't good here. It's, I know it's pretty good down the street. That's not church, right? Church is being, church is participating. Church is making better what, short, what where our shortcomings are and we've got them. It's about making them better. It's about jumping up and saying, hey, I see this and I could fill this gap and let's do it. Why? So that we can have a better huddle? No, so that we can go out, so that we can reach the world for Jesus because this is God's plan. God doesn't have a B plan for reaching the world. God's plan for reaching the world is in his body. This is how he's chosen in the church age to move across the globe to share hope and love and the message of salvation with the whole world is through God's people. So I wanna close, I wanna go back to three and I wanna read this prayer again. It's probably one of my favorite, it's, it's my favorite prayer in the Bible. Let's just pray this together. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Lord, may it be. May we be those people. May we be that church. May we be effective in the ministry, the unique callings that you've called us to as individuals within the church. May we, may we as a church be effective within the community the way that you've called us to be. Lord, if we weren't here, we would want the community to say, where did that church go? not just to, to have us slip away and not even know we were gone, but help us, Lord, to, to, to fulfill the callings that you put on each of us here. Help us to do that individually. Help us to do that corporately. Help us to know the power that you've uh, engaged us with, that you've empowered us with. 
And Lord, may all the glory go to you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.